0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an Associate Professor and the Academic Dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the Academic Advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church— and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain, Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations with Dr. Willis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Willis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We now continue with part two of our conversation on the St. Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle, Sixth Mansion, Chapter 1. It's also interesting in this particular chapter that after such a profound statement on the physical infirmities that might uh, be crosses that we will bear with him, she brings up the experience that we could have with an inexperienced confessor. Once the soul wants to be understood, wants someone to uh, be, uh, how do I want to say it, a companion or someone uh, guiding light, you find somebody who, and I I say this in all reverence, and I don't mean to be judgmental, but what I'm reading her to say is clueless. Hmm. (laughs) I hope I'm not being too judgmental.
1: Well, no, and this this is something where those who priests who have the Ministry of Confession need to be so extremely careful. There's a way in which you could read this together with Living Flame of Love. In the third and fourth stanzas of Living Flame of Love, you find references to St. John of the Cross, where St. John of the Cross is making a similar critique of confessors and spiritual directors have given people who are at this stage of their spiritual life extremely bad counsel. One of the things to do is these souls are having a hard time because of the acute suffering, because of their being persecuted in different ways exteriorly by people, and there's a thousand other trials that we're going to see unfold. And so they turn to a confessor. They're looking for somebody to understand them, and the confessor listens to them and mistakes their state of soul has a lack of devotion and so they'll say you know you need to get back to basics you need to start reading reading the scriptures again and doing just you know uh, invest yourself in more spiritual reading instead of spending all this time in silence because the soul is having a hard time spending time in silence they're drawn to solitude they're drawn to silence they want to find the lord but whenever they try to go there it's acute suffering and so they try to read, and when they try to read any spiritual reading, it disturbs them even more. They don't understand anything. that They see the words. They don't understand uh, a word they're reading. And, and the confessor says, see, that's another sign of your lack of devotion. You need to try harder. And do you see what you're doing to a soul in this state is, is you're actually increasing their torment. One of the things, a, a doctrine from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas is, you know, he asked the question, how long should you spend in prayer? And he says, you should spend as much time in prayer as you have devotion. Now, this is curious because in the beginning of the spiritual life, you need to rouse up your devotion. You need to do works of of prayer, meditation, reading devotional things so that your heart is, is subtle and vulnerable to the movements of the Holy Spirit. The problem in the beginning of the spiritual life is that we're asleep and we need to be woken up. And it is true that it is possible for somebody to get up to the fifth spiritual mansion and get seduced by the, the devil into going back to spiritual sleep and begin all over again because they get lazy or they sit on their, their laurels. You can't sit on your laurels. And so spiritual directors who are concerned about what's going on in the soul and thinking that they might be struggling with their devotion. They have a good reason to have those suspicions because Teresa of Avila even affirms that you have good reasons to be suspicious, but you got to look and see and attend to what's going on with this particular soul because this particular soul doesn't have an absence of love for Jesus. They're not falling into sin. They have no inclination towards sin or laziness or spiritual sloth. They're just very antsy when they go into silence. And so... Rather than counseling them to spend a long time in silence reading spiritual books, in this chapter, Teresa of Avila says that it's more important for these souls who are going through these particular trials to devote themselves to works of charity, well, works of mercy, to praying for other people, to writing letters. You might notice that both Saint Teresa of Azura and Elizabeth of the Trinity were given special permission by their prioress, to write letters, to spiritually adopt seminarians and so forth. And why did they do that? Because in each case, the prior saw somebody very spiritually gifted who needed to exercise works of mercy, works of charity, so that they could get through some of the purifications and things that God was bringing them through. Very advanced forms of purification. They needed to engage Their spirit in another kind of work, though, because entering into silence was too tormenting. Jesus never wants us to be tormented. So St. Thomas says that you should only practice mental prayer or enter into prayer as long as you have devotion. When devotion goes away, you devote yourself to works of mercy. And this is the exact same advice that Teresa of Avila gives us in this chapter. soul who can't be settled down, who's having trouble doing spiritual reading, rather than trying to force yourself to do more spiritual reading, uh, go do works of mercy. And then after you've kind of exhausted yourself doing the works of mercy, come back into silence. Now, an additional complexity here is that these souls also uh, tend, their health doesn't tend to be very good. And so they devote themselves to works of mercy, and then their health takes a bad turn and they get exhausted and acute suffering comes and they need to learn to their works of mercy become offering up their suffering for the sake of the church. And this is what in, in the rites for the anointing of the sick, you know, when when the priest gives the anointing of the sick, the power of that sacrament is, it, it is healing. It does prepare a soul that's dying for death. But the real power of that sacrament is it joins their suffering to the the work of sanctifying of the church so that the whole church can benefit from their offering of their suffering in union with Christ Jesus on the cross for the sanctification of the world. And these souls who are in the sixth mansion, they're there. They're with Jesus on the cross being poured out especially when these ex- exterior physical trials come that test them to the limit. They're not less united with Jesus. That was the mistake the confessors made that Teresa was talking about. They're more united with Jesus. So this requires a more subtle kind of spiritual direction, a more subtle kind of confessor who is able to help the soul feel understood and listened to and reassured. And it's very, very hard to reassure souls in this um in this state because they they're also afflicted with the thought they might have done something to displease Jesus and that's why they don't feel him the same way they did before and a confessor needs to walk with them through that experience so that they're reassured
0: you know i've heard it said and in particular from a, a really fine, redemptorist priest that I know, that Alphonse Lagori had a great devotion to Teresa of Avila and her writings. And much so, I even encountered a novena that he offered for Teresa of Avila and composed. He's the, the patron of confessors <laughs> and moral theologians, and, and yet I think that care that she instructs here had a great influence on him
1: yeah i I wouldn't be i I wouldn't be surprised are you referring to father Billy
0: yes I am father Dennis Billy
1: uh, he's written a, a beautiful commentary on the interior castle uh, it has Allison Pierce's translation and his commentary on it and so looking to see what he has to say about this is probably a very fruitful thing to do for those who who want to do a little bit more spiritual reading on what she's talking about in this very first chapter of book six. Uh, But he's quite insightful. I agree.
0: As we continue the journey through this, the closing paragraphs of the first chapter of the sixth mansion, what would you have us take to heart? What should jump out at us?
1: Well, first, this is just the beginning of a chapter that's very important. And she's going to continue some of the themes that she's built up, introduced in this. So this is, if you want to look at it in terms of a piece of music, this is like the beginning prelude of a great spiritual work. She's introducing themes that she's going to continue to unpack throughout this book six, but also book seven, because all the way through this chapter one, she keeps on referring to what is to come in the seventh spiritual mansion.
0: We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app.
2: Litany of Humility.
0: O Jesus, meek and humble of heart,
2: hear me. From the desire of being esteemed,
0: deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being loved,
0: deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being extolled,
0: deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being honored,
0: deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being praised,
0: deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being preferred to others,
0: deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being consulted,
0: deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being approved,
0: deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated,
2: deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being despised,
2: deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of suffering rebukes,
2: deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being calumniated,
2: deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being forgotten,
2: deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being ridiculed,
2: deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being wronged,
2: deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being suspected,
2: deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I,
0: that others may be esteemed more than I.
2: That in the opinion of the world others may increase and i may decrease
0: that others may be chosen and i set aside
2: that others may be praised and i unnoticed
0: that others may be preferred to me in everything
2: that others may become holier than i provided that i become as holy as i should jesus
0: grant me the grace to desire it
2: amen
0: We now return to beginning to pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I want to jump into real quick before we go, paragraph twenty-five. I think is a great source of consolation. Like when I first read it, the evil spirits, their activity here, they are far less painful. For whatever the demons may do, I believe they never succeed in paralyzing the faculties or disturbing the soul in the former manner essentially what she's saying is that at this soul their encounter with god is so much stronger that i don't want to say they're negating the the works of the enemy but he just doesn't seem to soul understands that it just doesn't have the type of power am i correct in that
1: yes they're there and and we've talked about this phenomena before you know the reason why god permits them at this stage of the game is isn't so much because the soul has done anything to make themselves vulnerable to, to them, but rather the, the Lord is actually using them despite themselves. They, these are fallen angels, and angels were created for the purpose of ministering to the things of God, and among the ministrations they have to lead, is to lead souls to God. And so certain angels were created to lead us to God, and they might have rebelled against God and rebelled against His purpose, But though they rebelled against him and rebelled against his purpose, God still, the original purpose for which they were created, even though they do it against their will, here they're doing it. By afflicting you, they're actually helping you draw closer and closer to him. And they know that, and it actually torments them that this is the case, that all their efforts to pull you down, are actually being used by God to draw you closer to him, so uh, <laughs> it's crazy
0: um, isn't it I mean it's like it's, it, but it's neat i, I I'm sorry I, I I don't mean to be so glib because it is a very holy and tender spot, but it you know it just it, I, I why is it making me smile
1: well uh, it, it's one of those things though that you know um, there's sometimes an undue fear that we have towards the evil one. And it's important to know, especially at this higher levels of union, the evil one is much more afraid of us than we are of him. And he's, his fear is compounded by the fact that no matter what he does, we draw closer to him. And he's seen unveiled through our faithfulness to the Lord. He, he's seen unveiled the power of God's love in the universe. The very power he rejected is condemning him. So this is a mighty work. It's part of a great cosmic conflict. And, and these souls are kind of on the forefront of the fight, You know, which is, again, you might think they're the least likely ones. These are the hidden ones. These are the ones who don't want the limelight. These are the ones who, who are thought so lowly of in the eyes of the world who everybody misunderstands. And yet these are the very one, ones that God is using to reveal his victory through. So these are powerful, powerful ideas. There's a a prayer here that I thought was a beautiful prayer, uh, again, towards the end, before the part that you commented on. Oh, Jesus, how sad it is to see a soul thus forsaken, and how little, as I have said, can it gain from any earthly consolation. So do not suppose, sisters, if ever you find yourselves in this condition, that people who are wealthy or free to do as they like have any better remedy for such times. No, no. To offer them earthly consolations would be like telling criminals condemned to death about all the joys that there are in the world. Not only would this fail to comfort them, it would but increase their torment. Comfort must come to them from above, for earthly things are of no value to them anymore. This great God desires us to know that he is a king and we are miserable creatures, a point of great importance for what follows. And so here she introduces then that the only thing that is going to satisfy this soul is God. But we pass through this time, all this time of incredible trial, because God is helping us to understand who we are before him. We are miserable creatures, and yet miserable creatures who have become the particular object of his love. And that paradox is not something that is diminished the closer we go to God. The closer we go to God, we suffer that paradox all the more, and it becomes kind of the greatness of our relationship with Him. And then uh, uh, after the section that you, you commented on, is she tells us what she's going to do. And so this gives everybody a little bit of a foretaste. We shall next deal with other interior troubles which occur in these mansions, treating of the different kinds of prayer and favors of the Lord. For although a few are still harder to bear than those referred to, as will be seen by the effects which they leave upon the body, they do not merit the name of trial, nor is it right that we should give them that name, since they are such great favors of the Lord, and the soul understands them to be so, and far beyond its deservings. And this last point, then, as we go forward, on the external side of things, the illnesses and the persecutions, and the difficulty in prayer, and all these things that go, and the thousands of questions that the soul faces in the sixth spiritual mansion. On the exterior, they look like the severest kinds of trials, and yet Teresa of Avila is saying, they're really not trials. This soul is being tested from time to time, so it does experience trials. It's even tested by demons, as we you commented on, Chris. But because God is giving himself so singularly to him in each of these trials, these trials really aren't trials as much as they are singular graces from the Lord. And the reason why I wanted to end with that right now is we are in a period right now where many of our loved ones and many people very close to the Lord are are being baptized in different kinds of suffering. The suffering of isolation, the suffering of difficult sickness, the suffering of fear and anxiety, all of this, uh, this, the suffering of uncertainty and lack of security about the future, the suffering of having to let go of plans and be more fully surrendered to the Lord. And if we draw close to the Lord, the point is this, All of these things which the world looks at as such extreme disaster, these can all be sacraments that help draw us closer to the Lord if we will approach them with faith and with the strength that comes from him. And so that means in these days we need to protect ourselves against getting caught up in the spirit of the moment, and we need to devote ourselves to more interior silence and prayer. And if, as we heard here, that that's impossible to do because you're just too antsy and, and you just can't settle down, then devote yourself to works of mercy. Amen. All right. I just got excited. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, no, that's it. And, and so thank you for the opportunity to talk to you about such a powerful thing this, at this time.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to chapter two of the sixth mansion of the interior castle. This is, this is good. Thank you, Anthony. God bless. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you'll find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lowe.